Hello and welcome to the 30th ever episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. We're almost on our way to a midlife crisis. I'm building a motorcycle out of dice. My name's Matt Lees <laughs> and I'm introducing the podcast next to Quentin Smith. Hello everybody. How are you? How are, how are, how, how are you? I'm fine, but there's somebody else here in a different country. That's amazing. That I'm sorry, that sounded like Alan Partridge. That was such smooth <laughs> radio introduction. I just really want that job in Norfolk. I ah. love the, I love the uh that you said there was someone in a different country and then there was like a five second delay as if we're <laughs> you know, you're making some phone call in the nineteen twenties. It's realistic. It is it's a satellite uh, uplink. Paul, why don't you, because I don't think people realise that all the way over in the North American division of Shut Up and Sit Down, you record these podcasts from inside a blanket fort, isn't that right? I erect pillows. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have a laptop sort of sat on the mattress of my bed and I'm mm-hmm. sat on the floor facing the laptop as I found this seems to be the best possible position. Is this with... for sound dampening or is it just because of, you know, horror, the unrelenting fear and terror of the world outside? It's mostly the horror Really, mm. really, it's a horror. Uh, there is some sound dampening, and I have a sort of amphitheatre of pillows, uh, <laughs> like a really shit Roman. And but, now, just imagine you putting on some sort of opera for toys. That, I've never done that. I don't know why you would accuse me of doing that. I've never done that. I've never it's, done it's a never performance for any of my toys. Should, can we move on? We will. We can. We can move on to some board games we've been playing. Uh, we should. The Forbidden Stars review went up uh, last week, and I'm still reeling from the fact that uh, that Matt and I enjoyed that one as much as much as we did. Um, people, this is probably like the the big watching our traffic. This is the, the game people have been like really interested in this month. And uh, my God, Matthew, there was so much stuff. It's a big box one as well. It was a big box one. Yeah, it's been a while since we did one of those games where you open it up and then just before you've even read one rule of the manual. Actually, I I read uh, I read about this. Um, there's a as a, they've done studies. I might have mentioned this on the podcast before because I only have seven stories. But they've done <laughs> uh, studies about uh, excitement levels relating to board games. Like this uh-huh. pretty came out of a big publisher like Hasbro. And there's a big excitement when you get the board game. And then it gets even, like, like it peaks when people unwrap the cellophane and take all the stuff out. Right. Like really? that is the most exciting moment of, of any board game. Really? And then the instant you then, what's the next step? It's reading the rules, right? Yeah. It then tails off. It just nosedives. And it never comes back? Ne- well, never, it never, <laughs> apparently for most families, it's, or kids or whatever, or animals, whatever they were doing this test on, um, they would just never got back that excitement from opening Maybe it. the tests they did it on were rubbish games. Because I think hmm. with, like, if you're, with rubbish board games, sometimes the components are the most exciting thing. Yeah. I'm I think inclined to agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember as a kid, actually, yeah, getting really excited. But then it was after that, it was just mostly disappointment. But that's just childhood leading on to adulthood in general. <laughs> just really. mostly disappointment. Just a general, general malaise. The God, uh, how grim. It does explain one thing, which is why board gamers just like us, us all just obsessively buy games. Like you know, to the it's a common thing. Like the what is it? Um, is there a twenty twenty or something? Which is. It's a New Year's resolution on Board Game Geek to pick twenty games out of your collection and play them twenty times. I think it's I think it's a ten by ten, ten games. That makes more sense. Yeah, twenty by twenty. Do you have a job? It's insane. But yeah, ten by ten by ten. And just because we buy these things, then we don't get enough use out of them. I mean, I've got a cupboard behind you, which is just full of things that I haven't played nearly enough. But it's nice to have the options because you know sometimes I feel like I've got especially lots of like kind of lighter party style games. It's nice to be able to just get a feel for the mood and go. What's right for now? Yeah, like a sommelier. Just to pick one out. Very much like that. That's how I envision myself. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, Forbidden Stars was... Um, I wasn't expecting to like that as much as I did. 
I'm always a bit sceptical of these gigantic, expensive box games because I sort of think, oh, these are sort of things that are even worse than the usual games that you never crack out because it's a big... <laughs> it's a initial, big game you never crack out. It's a big initial out. investment as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean, you know, we live in the UK, so cupboard space is a problem. But uh, I loved it. I mean, I, I, I'd forgotten how much I really loved the Warhammer 40,000 theme, mm-hmm. um, considering I never really actually... I don't think I even collected any Warhammer 40,000. Yeah. Um, I just lo- I liked Spice Hulk, and I like the fact that all the lore is just horrible, and everyone's having a bad time. There is but some, in space. something gently impersonal about uh, about attacking someone in um, Forbidden Stars, because it's like you have a tiny like tank, or a tiny man with a gun, or you know whatever, and, yeah. and it's next to your tiny man with a gun. It's like, it's inevitable. Their eyes meet across deep space. Uh, a, a shared word, perhaps. You know, it sounds a moment of a frisson of of the tension of hatred and war. It sounds stupid, but one of the few things I didn't like about Forbidden Stars was the fact that when you were doing these little mini um, excursions, um, because of the scale of the game, because you do end up having massive mech things and then mm. like space battle cruises. I mean, when you were just doing infantry, they were just these little like. Little banners supposed to represent a little... Yeah. And there was something oh, yeah. deeply unsatisfying about them. Which is really... Weird. I think... Yeah. So. Well, looking at it, uh, compared to, you know, you have enormous uh, spaceships and then you have, like, the sort of Titan figures and everything else. And everything looks tremendously huge, except for that. <laughs> I would have liked it if they just forgotten about scale. Just put scale in the bin and just made it a little... A little like space trooper. Oh man, a, I need gotten the bloody names of them. The space trooper. You know, space the space trooper. The that ultra is the right name. The space troopers and the chapter is the ultramaroon. <laughs> uh, no, I you know, I disagree with you. I mean, I'm not saying you guys are wrong, but for me there is nothing more dramatic and and saddening like in terms of the heartbreak of all this death mm. than picking up like, you know, in a war game, uh you get like little square tiles, like flat pieces of cardboard that just have like a X on them and it represents a tank division. And, uh, you know, then something happens and you roll the dice and that tank division is just gone. Mm. And rather than picking up like a plastic tank, which would symbolize like, a couple of men in a tank, like you pick that up and it's like because of the abstraction of that tile, your brain fills in the gap. What is this tile? It represents thousands of thousands of men a day. <laughs> so, yeah, losing yeah, a... Yeah, maybe you're right. Losing a plastic tank in Forbidden Stars is losing a tank. Losing but, a flag. What does that represent? Matthew? No, you're right. But the, some of the things I did love about it, um, I really liked the way that the fights actually panned out. This putting down cards in order... And these cards mm. um, giving you different buffs and this idea that it wasn't just about trying to kill the people. It was the potential of like, if you could just survive. If you can hang on. <laughs> but then get morale high, then you win. And then so it's that thing of like, it felt very much this element of trying to guess what the other person was doing, but also pushing your luck of being like, do you go for the extermination, but then maybe fail and they still win? Or yeah. Do you? And I found that, I think everyone we played it with as well found this equally, that it was unexpectedly intense. As soon as you started choosing the cards, you could feel your heart in your chest. It was like, it actually, what I assumed would be a mechanic that would slow down the fights, actually just emphasised them and made them really quite um, quite powerful. It was weird. Yeah, there's so much, you know, fluff and, and junk in that part where, you know, your units meet and then it stops being this strategy game and it becomes a game of cards and dice and turns and rounds and morale and combat and yet all this sort of um, spice actually boils down to uh, just a really deeply, deeply tense moment mm. whereby two players have no idea whether this fight's going to go their way or not and that's a massive difference. And the other thing I loved was in the same way that I, one of the things I love about Cosmic, Cosmic Encounter, is the way that you can't, it stops it from becoming too personal by forcing, by not giving you the option of who you're attacking. Yeah. In this, you always have complete autonomy of what you're doing but the way that these warp walls mm. that basically block off the map and stop you from doing things shift around uh, means that 
it is sometimes out of your control. Like yeah. we kept fighting simply because like Oh, that was that was we didn't want to fight, but then it was like, well, we've been put in a position where we can't really do anything else. That was the best so let's turn. fight. Like Paul, it was just a couple of turns in and uh, Matt and I wanted to uh we would we just we we both want each other out. We just wanted the war to stop <laughs> and both of us were fishing for a card that would let us put a wall up between ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that didn't happen. We both thought the other person would No, I moved it, but then Matt also had to move it. I which, had to move it, so I had to move so it. So he moved back. it back and then both of us simultaneously go, Oh, because Neither of us want to fight, and this war was going to go on for another 20 years. But it also allows that wonderful Machiavellian thing of being like, oh, let's just say you're having a lot of problems with the orcs, and you're in a war with them. I know. Why not just move that warp gate so suddenly you've got, like, the Eldar fleet right next to them? Yeah, just, it's... Just forcing them to, like, reevaluate the situation. Yeah, so silly, but making really good use of the theme as well. Like, what can you do in space that you can't do in a sort of... Uh, yeah, a game related to terrain. Well, terrain doesn't have giant walls that sprout up organically, but warp storms, sure, why not? There are storms in the way. You can't go this way. Anymore. See, it was fiddly, but immediately quite satisfying. It wasn't one of those games where you, you have to get two-thirds of the way into it before you go, oh, okay. It was like, as soon as we clicked a couple of turns in, it was like, this is this is really very good. Yeah, I think no. it's really interesting the way it's it's got uh, a lot of kind of fate based mechanisms i suppose you you know you are still in control of the game but there are so many factors that things happen i don't know war shouldn't be about just uh looking at the strength of a unit and its stats and rolling some dice and knowing how successful you're going to be i think it's actually really good having no idea what cards your opponents are going to pull out or mm-hmm. actually even what you can shoot at this turn or what you yeah. can invade it's the thing that's of, a good uh, angle adaptability versus planning and adaptability yeah. tends to be a lot more fun and interesting and on your feet whereas planning can uh, slow games down so yeah just really good i'm i'm i it's funny we've been playing with like all tanks and nonsense i'm surprised you're still playing panamax after you reviewed it like a month ago yeah i I've, I've maintained some excitement for panamax which i <laughs> well wow, that was that was pretty that was pretty english of you right that, there, that, yeah i don't can i let's pretend i didn't say that i've you want to take another shot Ah, on the spot. Uh, I still like Panamax. Okay. <laughs> because sure. I preferred the original. It showed that he'd somehow been influenced by the game and it started thinking about is how he felt about things in a quite mechanical but precise way. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I may have just reduced the quality of our poll. Yes, my happiness appears to be coming in support at a, <laughs> at a smooth rate of about four knots. Beautiful. That's sailor speak. That is, maybe that's what I've become. Um... I got bummed out because I, isn't a knot just a word for mile an hour? It's, it's or a kilometer an hour. It's a unit of speed, but it's I, not quite a mile an hour. But it's it like it's similar. I think it's slightly different to be annoying. Yes, good. I was okay because I, I was ready to be upset. He was about to flip a boat. We've I got was a boat in gonna here. just walk down to the Thames and flip a bird. Tell you what, there is actually a warship moored in the Thames, and it's really good. There is. I've been on it. Have you? Yeah, it's good. HMS Belfast. If you're in London, go look around, go down to the engine rooms and get really disturbed at what they look like. You couldn't flip it, though. You couldn't flip it, no. You couldn't, although the Germans tried for many years. They did. Didn't they? Welcome to Shut Up and Sit Down, a podcast about World War II. Next will be... Well, it fits in with a war theme. Anyway, Panamax. Uh, yeah, I just love shunting ships around still. <laughs> I've... I've had, I realized that I should have spent more time, maybe I should have just emphasized this a bit more in the review. When you move a ship that has a cargo on it, when you are moving a token with a token on it, and it shunts a bunch of, to- just all the cargo falls off your ships all the time. Really? And it's, it's kind of 
uh, thematically sad because it's like you're trying to get through the Panama Canal and all your stuff is just falling off your ship all the time and everyone has to water. go and fish it out the bay. But um, it's I don't think there are any plans to expand it, but if there were, I would really like to see what gets added to it or if there is a way to expand it. Yeah. I don't know if it could have an extra bit of board sort of a- attached onto it. Obviously, you could you could very easily just put more ships in it and put more cards and more cargo, but that would be a lot more of the same. What would you um, do, do you think? Ah, I don't know. I mean, it's a really good question because I think mechanically everything's very sound. It, I'm very used to being in a board game world where people just make expansions for a lot of lots of stuff, and the thing is, I I don't know how I would do it, and it. It it works very nicely as a whole. I just enjoy it, and I kind of want someone to come along and add something to it. How about I don't three know times, what? three times as many canals? Oh um, man, Panama canoe, canoe, Panama canoes canal as well. Two, Panama canal. Oh. For some reason, that makes me think that there's been an earthquake and a new canal has opened. Like an overlay you put on the board that opens. A new oh. Yeah, yes. or, or some like, of them have got sharks in and they eat your cargo. Right, it's like Pacific Rim and giant things come out and they attack your ships. That would fit the theme. <laughs> it's it's a weird one, isn't it? That board gamers really want expansions, but then like a lot of Euro games are just these reti- really meticulous objects. Yes, you like like fine tune. Like imagine if you had a Swiss watch, you'd be like, oh, I wish I had another hand on it. And then the designer's <laughs> that- like, what would what would it do? And you know, I don't know. Measures That's exactly how it is. Time though. twice. <laughs> Measures time I, twice. I, I, w- I want more, but there's there's sort of there's no need. Hang on, wait. I realised I'm describing this, but this is exactly what those watches are that show time in multiple time yeah. zones. Yeah. So they this, not only is this ridiculous as I'm saying, it already exists. <laughs> <laughs> what expansion should we add to this Swiss watch now? Oh, well, it can go 100 meters below the sea. Why? Yeah. That's, that's what that's what board game expansions are. Do you want to take your copy of Cyclades 100 meters under the sea? Probably not. No, no. my family doesn't spend a lot of time that deep. No, just it's only fifty meters under the 50 sea. Fifty meters your, is absolutely fine for your. It's weird. Uh, I mean, none of the people who buy those watches, I reckon, go fifty meters under the sea either. None of those business people in the city are. What are you going to do today? I'm going to go fifty meters. Under I reckon the sea. they probably <laughs> take them off when they're swimming because they're worried about it. Right, yeah. that too. Also, because it's it's pretty it pretty looks silly if you're in like cargo shorts and then you have a two grand watch. Yeah, and speedos yeah. and an expensive watch. Yeah. Not a good look. No. Anyway, what mm-hmm. were we? What were we? Ta- we oh, were uh, we were on ships. I've been. We pa- were on ships. I can segue to what else I've been playing. Sure, go on, go on. Uh, well, we did our we did our Spyfall video review. Ah, uh, all uh, three of us working together. Yeah, like, like a heist. Like Spy we were just heist. around the corner, which sort of we are. But I, I have played so much Spyfall, and uh, I am not bored of Spyfall yet because there's just. Originally, when, the first time I played it was at BGG Con last year, and it was just a case of you know you, the the comedy of the questions, and the the way you realise that you can't give anything away with your question, uh, and you end up asking stupid, useless things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's now got to the level where like um, we'll be around a table, and obviously most of us will know where we are, and it's more just trying to work out your relationship to the other person and their job and there was things like we we did the one of the ones we did was the hotel mm-hmm. and it was really obvious to a bunch of us who our manager was <laughs> um and so we would it just 
just became us asking him questions instead of trying to ferret out who the spy was. And his response to everything was just, I'll get a boy to do that. I'll find a boy. <laughs> Which just further confused the spy and it was brilliant. Jesus. I think, yeah, it's such a weird game with such weird, like, tactics that... Like, I'm used to, you know, heavy mechanical games where you play it once and you go, oh, you know, I'll remember that... Next time I play this, I'll remember that in phase two, when I'm taxing my bishops... I should be sure to tax the archbishops. In fact, in Spyfall, it's like you learn such pure lessons of how to play the game well. Like, if you ask me a question, Paul, it's perfectly reasonable for me to sit and think for like 10 seconds and really purse my lips. Hmm. Because that's just what real people do because they're trying to come up with a good answer, which actually means as the spy, you can be asked a question, you can relax, and you can spend 10 seconds coming up with the perfect bit of bullshit that is kind of vague and probably on the money. Yes, that's it. Although everyone watches everybody's faces as well. And it's the sort of the contortions of the face as that happens that are sometimes the clue. But yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just massive distrust is always fun. So much yes. distrust. And it's got that, um, was it Brenda Romero uh, said that um, the first player rule, the how to determine first player is always just a good way to get yes. people in the right mood. And Spyfall has um, the first player is the one who looks the most shifty. Mm. So already before the game even starts, you're looking at your player, your friend's faces and going, Matt looks like a liar. Mm. He does. No, Matt, Matt's actually not a liar. Oh, he is a liar. I do look Recorded like a liar. on camera. It's true. Our famous resistance let's play. Yeah, you were I do. Of the oh my it's goodness. My, it's my I double still bluff. remember that. It's my double bluff. I look like a liar, but then people think, nah, he's not a liar. <laughs> he's a nice man. He just looks like a liar. He's just got a liar's face. But no, I am. I'm a liar. Oh I'm evil. <laughs> I'm really glad that we did capture that, though, because that was probably the most successful piece of lying I've ever done. Yeah, it was. I. It's It's funny, that because that, that, we don't have that many Let's Plays on the site, but they're all immortal. Like, I'm really happy with my Wiz War victory yeah. of just meticulously annihilating four people <laughs> all on camera. <laughs> Wizards. Poor Tom. What was I, I going to say? Oh, um, yeah. Have you, Paul, when you have been playing Spyfall, have you ever had players who aren't the spy be unanimously voted and have this, you know, like someone who's not the spy gets lynched, essentially, and then the spy just wins th- through that victory condition? Yes, I have. I have had that happen. It has, has happened it? because we've been sort of as a team incompetent, but also I, I blame the player because it's usually some horrendously dumb answer <laughs> where they kind of have it coming. The thing I love about that, because it did happen once in our game as well, um, is just that it's easier than you think to swing that vote because um, let's say someone says something shifty and player A accuses them. Player B, who is the spy, will immediately go, yeah, I agree. So actually that lends a bit of peer pressure to the situation where player C and D might be like, well, I wasn't sure, but those two players are pretty sure. So (laughs) yeah, and you know, you can just lose the game. Like it's nice, again, and that's an interesting thing that if, if you you can accuse someone to try and ferret out who the spy is because the spy will probably agree with you if you try like it's it's just it's just weird it's so fun to play a social game where the rules are so different and it's like a whole new way to play almost it reminds me of when i played um two rooms and a boom after playing the resistance for about 400 years it, it yeah actually i think that's a really good uh consideration it does I, I haven't played The Resistance now for a while, and I'm sure I probably will play it again and will have some enjoyment of it, but I feel like social games, the social games I've enjoyed over the last year are just in a different league. Yeah. There's just I, a step up with Stif- uh, Spyfall and Two Rooms. Just imagine what we'll be playing in five years, like it, it beggars belief. I got pissed off with The Resistance this week because uh, Indie Ooh. Wars and Cards announced the new version, version three of The Resistance, or third edition okay. or something. And uh, it removes all the plot thickens cards, which are like the cards the leader can give to players that let, give them special powers. 
Hmm. and uh, just puts in a whole new module and I was so annoyed because hey indie boards and cards really are good at selling the resistance with like one new thing each time yeah it's a great shame they haven't just put together like a kind of an ultimate, ultimate edition thing yeah. which is I mean Werewolf was actually you know pretty good for that and uh, I mean I'm sure they might be saving the money to do it like in fact didn't they do it ultimate I, resistance I can't even re- I can't even remember they've lost me as a customer through like just so continually disrespecting how yeah. many times I'm willing to buy that game. I think there's a lot to be said with that sort of thing of being like, well, this is this is the game. Here's the best edition of it with everything. Yeah, it's need. like, here's edition one, here's edition two, which contains everything from edition one and a little more. Like, at least if you do that, then you give players the opportunity to miss an edition, then, oh, okay, go Catch on, I'll up, buy yeah. a fourth edition yeah. of The Resistance. But, like, the fact that I'm buying The Resistance and not getting Kickstarter rewards, I'm not getting the stuff that was in second edition, I'm not like, come on! It's a very simple game as well. It's not, yeah. there's not that much stuff to put in a box. I mean, it, it's just... It's, mm, mm. it's difficult, though. But the thing is, you know, this is the way, the nature of, of the beast. There's always churn with this. And actually, like, the more I've played it, the more I think One Night, uh, one night Ultimate Werewolf is... Yeah. One Night Werewolf is probably... Oh, my, yeah. ...my most fun game of that Yeah, time. especially with Daybreak. When we played that at uh, GDC, just over and over, and just the bizarre stuff. Yeah. I mean, sometimes Daybreak can get a bit much, but I do enjoy the opportunities for lying that injects. But no, it's like... It's one of those things where... I still really like uh, Resistance. I've still got a lot of time. I love Avalon. I actually love all the Merlin stuff. No, Merlin's great. Um, and the Assassin and all that. But yeah, it's it's difficult. And it's 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 still, it's kind of one of those like loose social games that does require the right group. Um, and it can be quite hard to kick off. Whereas yeah. at the moment, we're getting lots of things that like tick similar boxes, especially in terms of Spyfall's subterfuge. Oh, God, And yeah. the humour of that. But it's a bit less serious and, and a bit less prone to go horribly wrong if somebody just messes it up. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, it happens yeah. a lot. We had, you know, you have we had Werewolf, then Ultimate Werewolf, then Resistance, then uh, then what like Coup, but then it just feels like it's been blown open right now with you know like Coup and then Two Rooms and then Spyfall, like the resist the just social stuff is just yeah exploding. It, it feels like it's just it's just their loss if they're not going to put out just like one ultimate product that everyone can point I, yeah, to and that's say it. get that. Then Maybe I'd be willing to buy gonna, the Resistance over and over. If, someone else is going to take the take that land mm. and run away with it. I'll tell you what, though, talking about party games very briefly, I'll play some Monikers very recently. Monikers oh, is yeah. fantastic. Have you, did you play Monikers with us, Paul? Yes, yes, we did, yes. Oh, of oh, course, with yes, Mike. Yeah, did. yeah, God, that was that was a joyous thing. So um, the thing that's coming out in the expansion that's currently on Kickstarter called Monikers Schmonikers is um, they're actually including... Because uh, at, the, at the end of our review, we put a few more rounds in, um, like where we said, hey, you know what, after round three, which is only like miming, I think, yeah, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, there's miming using only your head mm-hmm. behind a sofa and something else I forget. Um, we weren't the only people to have suggested new rounds because actually the, the public domain game it's based on celebrities has a ton of new rounds. And the thing that we keep getting photos on on the Shut Up and Sit Down Twitter account is a final, final round whereby the person is under a sheet and has to mime the word. <laughs> Just a big like bed sheet. Like a, like like a, a ghost. Like a ghost desperately trying to um, embody Nelson Mandela or like <laughs> Amazing. Uh, or anything else. And that's that's the one that people say is the de facto funniest round of Monica's. I mean, it is. It's a very funny game. We played it and, you know, it's it's kind of worth it just for the fact that, you know, you, you'll end up having three or four really big laughs throughout the whole game. Mm-hmm. But that's still great. But I'll tell you something else which has been ridiculously successful and I feel pleased because, you know, we played it a lot at Gen Con last year and we felt comfortable enough knowing at that point that it was an incredibly funny game. Mm-hmm. But I've since received my Kickstarter version of Fun Employed and I've been playing Fun that a lot Employed. more. Oh, I've yeah. played that about three times in the past two weeks with different people each time. And here's the thing. Every time I've introduced it, and this is a very dangerous thing to do, as everyone should know, I've introduced it. I've kind of tried to be subtle about it, but I've kind of gone, well, yeah, I think we should play this. And 
And then they go, well, why? And you go, well, it's, I'll explain how it works, but you should know that this is, this is possibly the funniest thing I've ever played in my life. Like, and that is, is, I was like, this is one of the funniest things I've ever done. Like, it's made me laugh more than anything else ever. And the problem is when you, when you go out like that and you say this Ooh, to someone, yeah. then you are really ready for a fall because immediately people <laughs> are ready to go, I bet it's not funny. <laughs> I, I bet there's something funnier. But every time, despite going in with that quite risky gambit... You're stuck with that one. Um, every time, it has ended up actually... The, the last time, I actually broke the rules slightly. In the manual, it tells you how many cards to put in the deck. And that kind of dictates roughly how long the game will be. It has mm-hmm. one of those random ends where it ends after a certain point. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah, at Gen Con, we just played it until... We just played randomly, yeah. We were too which, drunk which you to can. stand you up. Can also you can do, do that. that. Yeah. Precisely. You can actually fudge the rules an awful lot to make it how much... Which is what Spyfall does. Spyfall just says... Play till you want to stop, I guess. That, yeah, it works. I'm quite happy playing Spyfall that way, and that's the only way I think I've really played it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is we actually, like, almost every time I've played a fun employee, we've had to stop because it's just too funny. And it actually really? the point where... You've been actually laughing People have been laughing so much that we just had to stop. We just can't... It's, everyone's just exhausted from laughing. And I think, you know, the thing is you do need... You probably need a couple of really funny people there. But what's amazing me is actually sometimes the people who you think are going to be amazing at it aren't actually as good as you think. And the people who you think, uh, they might struggle to get with this, just turn out to be hilarious. Well, okay, so this is the thing, because um, I, th- I guess at Gen Con we noticed a bit of this. People around the circle who were quieter and, you know, less kind of uh, garrulous and now going and, and all that. Um, still got some really funny lines, but there's something about Fun Employed that makes, like, abs- the absurdity on the cards funny. Like, you can take your most boring friend... And then you get to watch them go into a job interview and, you know, their their CV is like, you get to watch them try and get a job as a personal trainer because, you know, they have really dangerous friends or whatever. Yeah. And like, there's something about crap deliveries in Fun Employed that makes it funnier because it makes it more plausible. Like yeah, you're watching well, you're a real supposed interview. to be, uh, I, I mean, the, 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 the traits are often just undesirable traits in any context. Yeah. They're kind of rubbish. Um. And then so I, I think, and because it's a game about improvising, it still works if you're not prepared, which you're often not if you're improvising. So it, <laughs> it's a game that, that very much fits the context and the theme because you turn up unprepared and bad at something as you, would, <laughs> as you would if you were a poor interview subject. That's true. And another thing, a, a final thing I'd say at the moment, I still want to play a lot more of it because it's just very, very good. And it seems to have a lot of longevity in the fact that you can give the same people the same four cards and they'll just come up with something different for the same role, which is fantastic. Yeah. But uh, one thing I did notice is I've played it a couple of times in pubs and unlike um, a lot of these kind of like party games which end up naturally becoming a bit rude and lewd, I'm not going to pretend I'm some sort of saint here. When I play play Fun Employed, the humour gets very dark very quickly uh, and I wouldn't want to change that. But, and this is what's crucial... So much of it is about subtext and so much of it is about what isn't being said. Yeah. But it means that only the people around you at the table who are bursting out laughing know what you're saying. And it means that you can comfortably play this game in public places without being worried that you're going to cause offence to anyone. Because if people are listening, they will not hear anything offensive, (laughs) which is wonderful. You can be making the most horrible jokes in the world and nobody apart from your friends know. And I think... For this sort of game, and there's you know increasingly lots of these, like, oh, it's a bit naughty. Um, it's nice that this is one you can play in public without worrying that you're going to offend people, which might be a bit prudish thing to say. But I think that's, it's a best case scenario, nice. But also I just find that it's, it's a bit more relaxing when you don't have to worry about 
being like everyone in this pub hates us. It's just it's just design, you know, like it's 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 just the game doing what it does better. Like yeah, and you know, at no cost to the game whatsoever. It's why we'll cheer if unemployed forever because it's so very good at what it does. It's not passable. It's not you should play this game. It's funny. It's you should play this game. It is the best at what it does. It's painfully it, funny. It works so well, it's and ridiculous. it works so well on in a number of ways. I mean, even even just the fact that you have you can have four cards that are four traits, and it's up to you what order you reveal them in. Yeah, which God, can give yeah. you potential comic timing because you can be doing something the whole way through your speech that you that you is explained by the last card that you reveal. Yeah, or like one uh, one card can lead into another in a funny way. Sorry, we had a on. wonderful we had a wonderful moment when I played it last, where one guy had like three horrible like brash traits, mm-hmm. like really unpleasant things. Yeah, and then time traveling, just put them all down at once and just went. I don't give a fuck. I've got the job anyway. Like in this like incredibly horrible like. And it's hilarious, but then it was like, he actually did win the round. So it's like, he's right. Is he a time traveller? <laughs> or does he, is he just pretending to just be? Just this wonderful thing of being like, it doesn't matter. You're going to give me the job. Wow. <laughs> Which I think like, that's, yeah. Yeah, we had the um, the classic of um, a guy who talked very quietly the entire time. For, like, uh, you know, just for ages. And then finally, like, he's like, you know, I, I think you want me here. And he just seemed really meek. And then the last guy he put down was sexual Tyrannosaurus. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it suddenly changed the entire bit you'd been looking at because that's a funny thing it's not it doesn't just make you like you know it doesn't it's not like watching improv because improv doesn't have this weird floating above your head kind of punchline no. like it's actually it's a whole unique beast whereby you just it's almost like telepathically you put this word into people's heads during the interview and you know yeah. suddenly this thing about the character yeah. it's very strange yeah and yeah no that's exactly what it is though uh uh that's a really good way of describing it's it actually more similar in terms of comedy construction to the old school thing of uh what family guy used to do way back when when it was actually really good of uh of having somebody say something and then cutting back to a flashback of something else and filling in those gaps it's more yeah, them but you create right. them in your head but yeah it's it's still good. You know it's good. We keep saying it's good, but man, it's good. We it's uh, good. we should um oh god. Uh but you know what? We're not all about jokes and fun here at Shut Up and Sit Down. No. We also like uh being totally silent for two hours, which is why Matt and I had a great time playing Trajan today. God, my brain hurt, but it was good. Uh, oh yeah. God. All right, tell me about Trajan. Why were you silent for two hours? Trajan, well, it was just a, it's it's a it's a heavy euro and I don't know when it's uh, I tell you, what, I'm going to look this up on my phone while I'm talking. Um, but it's by Stefan Feld, um, who we oh, know yes. from the lovely Castles of Burgundy and um, and other games which in- entirely can't come into my head right now. So it's kind of dry, and it's um, you can tell it's it's been designed a while ago in the fact that it doesn't have the kind of clear iconography that you often have with a lot of modern games of being like, oh, well, that affects that, and that means that. And somehow I think in the past five years, uh, the industry's got a lot better at doing that, of you just being able to like look mm. at a couple of symbols and go, oh, that must mean that. Uh, um, and that doesn't help because it's all like ancient Rome stuff. So oh, God, like, it's recent. Sorry. Is it recent? It's 2011. That is, is recent. Absolutely nuts. Uh, uh, I guess moderately that's... recent in the current sort of... I feel like we're in an industry that's moving really fast right now. That's uh, yeah, true. especially with, with Euro games. Um, but yes, yeah, sorry, as Matt was saying, you're in ancient Rome. It's not too bad. It just means that you have things like... Uh, you have to remember pillars, things like, oh, there's, there's pillars and then there's a scroll and it's like you kind of, it takes a little while to work out because lots of the symbols are very similar because okay. it's all thematically just Roman. We definitely need to explain what's yeah, happening here because yeah. we've used the word symbol, scroll, iconography, Euro game <laughs> and without like, you're, you're all, um, I can play these games, right? But <laughs> you can. To explain. It's, it's, yeah, you don't know what angle to come from with a Euro game because you describe the theme, which I will now. Um, 
You're, you're Roman governors, Paul, and you have four years to be the best governors of Rome. That has nothing to do with what you're actually doing. No. Um, you, the board is kind of a... Um, it's the most striking piece about it. It's like a, a sort of piece of perspective-related art where in the foreground you can see Rome and the Senate, and it's just one building, and then you can see the city of Rome behind it, and then all the way in the distance you can see England. Because that's the kind of uh, like tilted, weird. Perspective. They didn't have clouds that's a back lot then. Of perspective. No clouds back then. Clouds no. were, of course, invented by. It was uh, Plato in. Uh, no, no, seventeenth century. No, I think. He no, invented them in the back of a van. Yeah, you can hear just Paul uh, sweating suddenly. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's um, lots of mini games, though, isn't it? Yeah. So the the basic game that you've got is you have a bowl. You remember Paul? Do you remember the bowls of power from Terra Mystica? I will uh, never forget the balls could, of power for you, as long as I'm alive. How could you forget? Um, and uh, you have an amount of coloured... God, this is just, just sounds like I'm tripping. Uh, you have kind of <laughs> coloured pebbles in different sections of the bowl. And of course. You can pick up all of the pebbles in any one of the bits it's of, true. of the bowl. Good for you. And then, Paul, you can move them around. And wherever you put them, that's where the magic happens. It's like, it's, it's five tribes, is it? No, well, yeah, it's it's a bit of five tribes. It's weird because it immediately it showed me things that later would be used by five tribes. It's it's a Mancala system. I'm actually going to try and describe it now. You have okay. a, a bowl that's divided into six segments, and you start the game with two uh, pebbles in each segment of the bowl. If I, I pick a segment to pick pebbles up from, I have no idea how comprehensible this is to the people at home. So let's say I pick two pebbles up from one segment. I then walk them around the bowl, so one pebble goes into the next segment, one pebble goes into the next one, so now I have one empty segment of the bowl and two segments with three pebbles in, and the final section of the bowl I land in is the action I perform. Mm-hmm. So you oh have my, a very yeah. weird degree of control it's over It's basically the game. kind of a quite simple way of ensuring that you can't keep just doing the same action over and over again or if you want to keep doing the same actions over and it's over a again, mathematical puzzle. then you really need to work out how you're going to do that oh so my now, goodness now my what head. we're going to tell you paul is the the pebbles in the bowl are of different color and uh, if you oh. can get a certain combination of colors in a different part of the bowl then you can get bonuses mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to play this game. No, it's Paul. not as bad as it sounds. Because <laughs> this is the thing. Is Wait, when... Matt, Matt, we're not done. We're not done. Because each of the six sections of the bowl are six different actions relating to six kind of different mini-games uh, that are happening in Rome. So one section of the bowl lets you move legionaries around, one lets you build the city, one lets you campaign in the Senate, and I, I believe the term in Eurogame circles is victory point salad, whereby you can get victory points from a lot of different things. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And whoever has the most victory points is the most victorious, is, is crowned victorious points. the best, the Roman. Yeah. But it had a really nice mixture of like um, some of these little activities that you do are kind of slightly combative, not as simple as worker placement, like, not as simple as like, I took that slot, which means you can't take it. Yeah. But there's like, you know, a selection of things that could be taken and you want to get the cream of the crop. Or with the building section, it was this weird bit where you could only build in squares like adjacent to where you already have a builder which yeah, means so you have to build it was kind of like the town. power grid whereby you kind of can create walls of workers that have then built all of the districts so you can see cars. somebody going for like they're going to build a big fountain you can get there first yeah. and build that fountain there's a bit first. of there's a bit of jaipur in there um which was the f- absolutely phenomenal two-player trading game trading card game whereby um there are deals to be made for example you can sell off a set of things and the bigger set you sell the more money you make 
But if a player sells a crap set first, then mm-hmm. suddenly your big set's worthless because they did it first. But then it resets every year. The new boats come. And then it means you, if somebody does that, you can go, okay, I'll sit on my goods till next year. And then I'll sell them early and make... So there's a lot of like moving things going on. And then you had the map of being able to go around... Europe and take over bits and Paul, you can you can take over Europe as well Paul just There's test on my review is this making any sense <laughs> it, well I'll, I'll be honest with you I've slightly cheated by loading up pictures oh, of the board okay. which have made me feel more disturbed <laughs> because I can see the bowls now and I can see the sort of rotating circle of it, it makes me think like you're you're spinning a wheel and you have to try and make the thing land where you want it you to know, land to just what I, have your turn the mental shortcut I made on the last turn of the game is it's like a rotary phone where you Push yeah. it and then you swirl all the beads around yeah. in a in a clockwise direction. It's nuts, man. I'll tell you what, like it's the sort Did, of thing where if you were really, really like minded in that way, you could probably be looking two or three turns ahead and working out exactly what you were gonna do. Oh yeah. But I mean I was always looking two turns ahead, but I wasn't trying to go any further than that. Because wow. the thing is, because you've That's got like other... looking into the abyss, that some, yeah. sometimes you just don't come back. Well, there's so much stuff where you can interact with other people and they can do something that you were going to do first or they can spoil something. That there's no point getting too attached to long-term plans. But what I did like about it was I often find that with this sort of game, especially as you get towards the end, you start to get these moments where you spend a lot of time just frozen in indecision. <laughs> and what's quite nice is yes. if you just try and do a couple of things like again and again, eventually you get yourself into a position where you've pulled up everything in a few locations yeah and then it's like you look at everything and you're like i've only got like two things i could do here because you count up the numbers and they all land on the same spaces so i like the way actually in a way it gradually just takes your options away from you so you go all right well i'll I'll build a fountain you know what uh we paul and i really like another steffenfeld game called castles of burgundy yes that has that's just fantastic and and the rules explanation is probably maybe not much simpler than Trajan, but you're not trying to do half as many things. You're just trying to fill your sort of bit of burgundy with nice things like mm-hmm. pigs and windmills and but then more pigs. I did like, though, although it was a bit overwhelming. Oh, let me, these... let me quickly finish. Uh, oh, yeah, thing. sorry. Yeah. No, no. The, 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 but that had a similar thing of limiting your options because dice, uh, you roll dice and you collect a dice and the dice limit where you can go so like if you don't have any sixes then you can't do the six thing and mm-hmm. that's fine don't do the six thing so to so. some degree you, you are sort of improvising with what you have at that moment rather than just trying to plot for anything at all so, uh, yes and is no that fair? I, I think i think the, the way it works is it tends to be that you um rather than just and this is why i think that the circular bowl system whilst it seems immediately like really terrifying is better than rolling <laughs> dice is because it pushes you into a situation where, yeah, you keep doing the same thing over and over again until you start to run out of options. And then it means that you then have to go, okay, well, I'll do some of these things in order to start resetting the the circle into a position where you can do more things again. So it's this nice thing of rather than just making sure that you're doing randomly things, it has a way of like, it has cycles. And it means that over the game, throughout these different years, you might be like, like at one point I was like, well, I'm going to go all around bloody Europe and I'm going to put mm. some soldiers there. And I went mad for war. And the next time we did loads of building. But then it's like, well, I can't do those things. So what was nice was rather than being like in most games like this where you'd min-max and just go, I'm just going to do this and this. Mm-hmm. It meant that you had to be quite smart and appreciate that at some point you were going to have to do a mixture of things. Yeah, you yeah. were kind of looking for good good deals and bargains and stuff, right? And yeah. I think this is something that I actually do. I don't know how much I'll describe this in the review, but a lot of the really heavy Euro games we've been playing recently, I feel have come down to... Like, the real crunch of victory uh, is 
figuring out how many victory points a given thing is worth. So yeah. you kind of have to do this bizarre maths of looking at, like Russian railroads as an example. If I go all in on this road, how many points will I get? Well, I've got 15 times two and then six turns of four. And then you do that. And then you kind of weigh up that maths versus what you perceive as the value of a different route. Yeah. And that's some that doesn't actually feel like playing the game to no. me. That's something you kind of learn. Oh, actually, this avenue is really good. And that's I think that's a mark against the game. You know, it, it's not some people might enjoy that, but it's not the game you're meant to be playing. We're meant to be jostling for position and working out ways to implement our plans. We're not we're not trying to just figure out what is good to What's do in this point? game. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's like. The, sorry, go on, Matt. I was going to say what I really liked about the way this worked was the fact that at the start you think oh I want to do this but then you realise well I can't just do this so I'll do this and I'll do this and it became a bit like playing a kind of civilization style game on the PC of being like you have about three or four plans of things you want to do in your head but you can't do them all at the same time so you think oh well I'll do a bit of that and I'll do a bit of that do a bit of that and when it got towards the end of the last year when it got to the last year it's like the game is ending soon mm. it became rather than frantically trying to squeeze all of these last bursts of points out of things it felt like I was trying to wrap up all the plans I'd already done. Like I was like, okay, well, let's try and make that yeah. fountain. Let's try and get uh, some army men in England. <laughs> and then we can just basically try and get this shipment of fish down to the harbour. And that was like, it felt like you start off by building this machine and then you kind of like abandon bits of it. And then the end was just tidying up. Like I like the way that the whole thing we talked about, how having to land on spaces that have the right colours in that gets you bonuses we just gave up on that yeah like in the last turn like most of them are about like long term infrastructure so it's nice that the most complicated parts of the game sort of tail off and they just let you have this kind of final stage of just clean up and just doing Mm. all the things you want to do and getting them done and hoping that when the score comes in your plan was a good one I mean this is it legacy everything you're describing is nice and I did enjoy the game same as you but it is that thing of like at the end of the turn, let's see whether my mental arithmetic, my, my not even mental arithmetic, that implies there's a correct answer. Yeah. It's like my kind of, the, the maths I was doing in my head of the cost versus reward of this part. I had no idea. Was as good as... I mean, honestly, I think in some ways, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative thing because I find in games where I feel like I'm able to work out the maths, I spend too long running my head in circles trying to work out the optimal thing to do whereas in this yeah. one I just found it impossible to even work it out I was like oh I, I don't know like yeah it's a it's a game to play multiple times and that isn't because there's such a ideal. mixture of, of of things there's a really strong mixture of things that just like oh this gets you points right now or this gets you points at the end and so trying to work out you're like is it worth me getting four points now or is it worth me doing something that might get me yeah. 10 points yeah. in two turns yeah for sure it, it and I like that. I like the way that something gets resolved. Some things get resolved at the end of each year, but some things are ongoing. Mm-hmm. So, you, like, I mean, I actually won the game we played today by just a few points just because I had this really long game thing. I was just collecting. I was amassing all of this stock to then just send it all off on boats at the end and go. So the, the thing yeah. is, did you, you, you had fun with it. You were both saying you enjoyed it. Yeah. But you yeah. also sound a little mystified by it. It's, I don't know, man. It's, it's Euro burnout. It's like these days I... I was so I used to be so interested in Euro games and like really you know the heavy machinery and now it's like I've got some friends around I've got a free Saturday I don't know if I want to kind of not talk to them I, I just at this point in my life I am more interested in spending time and having fun with my friends than yeah. s- than spending time and having fun with the designer systems and which is absolutely it, valid and I just I just wonder if you looked at it on the shelf if you would feel like taking it off again anytime soon um 
Personally, no. I'm going to give it a more nuanced review than that because I think for some people it will be exactly what they're looking for and I'll outline those people. But for me, yes. like, I'll take it home and it will not be able to dismount any of the games currently on my shelves right now. And the reason I wanted to cover it is Board Game Geek calls it, the, according to rating systems, the 36th best board game of all time. Goodness. Uh, yeah, so I want to I wanna kind of analyze that and pick at why and, and, and all this stuff. Yeah, thing. it's a tricky one. It's like, it's not... It's not that it's not the sort of thing that I wouldn't play. It's that I don't have many friends who enjoy that sort of thing enough yeah. to warrant it along, uh, uh, you know, compared to something else which is a bit lighter. I mean, this is it. Like, we, Board Game Geek is a rating site for people who love board games, mm. whereas Shut Up and Sit Down is more of a site for people who are looking for fun things to do in their life. Yeah, maybe. It's true. It's um, true. So, and that, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like, if you're a, an avid reader of a site called Board Game Geek, spending time with the board game systems is probably you know like heaven yeah it certainly was for me when i first got into the hobby but now it's like okay you know been there done that but i think my friends are more and more of an exciting prospect to me than yeah no i agree although having said that i've played uh quite a few euro games now and actually a lot of them i've kind of enjoyed the experience but walked away from it being like i don't really want to play that again actually if somebody got that out and said oh do you want to play this i'd I'd be like yeah i'll play it yeah there's a sweet spot i think um this is we've 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 been exposing you to some heavy nonsense speaking of which we i'm looking at the time and i'm like we got we got time for one more game and paul oh my god matt's Uh, copy of the catacombs kickstarter arrived yes 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 i i read this when we were chatting earlier it's a big box. It's oh, it's a phenomenal edition, man. I it's um, Matt and I squeaked in just uh, just, just were, the basics yeah. of the game. I had to teach him how to play. It's because... cool. It's so cool. I've had your copy of it in my cupboard for like three years or something, and I haven't ever opened <laughs> it. And I feel so bad, but I can't believe I didn't because I mean, I told you, man. I, I was know. like, this game, this fucking game. I mean, so, it, it, yeah. Is it functionally pretty much the same, just a lot swankier? Because the 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 one thing that Catacombs didn't really have was it was not as swanky looking as it <laughs> this could be. Got, this well, has got swank coming out of its ears. Uh, yeah, oh my the god! Art, there's art covering every piece. Um, the I guess what I would assume a backer awards mean that there's so many new. Uh, it is actually different. There are loads of new add-ons, and That's you get good. you get as much as you got in like. See, I don't know. I don't know if this is the just the Kickstarter tradition. I don't know if it's if they've got extra shop coming to shop shelves and how much of this content will be transferred, but currently the Kickstarter edition is full of stuff, like way more stuff than the original Catacombs. The board is bigger, so yes. you, which which is already a huge selling point because it means that um, it's a little less cramped. There's also a wall that goes around the board, so you're not going to lose a, a, a puck, you know, fly. God, we should quickly explain Catacombs <laughs> is like a dungeon crawling game, a game where, of flicking, a game a, of sabutio. It's Dungeon Sabutio, yeah. You've got uh, every the heroes and monsters are all discs, and you just flick the discs around. And if your disc collides with an enemy disc, that's a successful melee hit. But it just manages to immediately condense down all of this sort of like hero quest. Um, I think like, I taught fun. you the rules in what twenty yeah, seconds. seconds. <laughs> like, and then yeah. it was this thing of being yeah. like, oh, this fairy like can move and it can't attack, but it can block fireballs and arrows. And I'm like, <gasps> it's just it, it has all of that fun theme that gets me really excited. That like those old school like RPG games used to have of being like I'm going to get a good axe by warrior but just without any fuss oh man Paul there is a gelatinous cube which is a new monster that's an actual wooden cube not a disc that you flick around so I'm guessing like it's a I don't know man it's a cube which it's probably like I haven't even read the rules I should have but if I was designing that thing it would be a cube so it's harder to flick around but also if it hits a monster I bet this is how it works you put that monster or hero disc on top of it, so it's inside the cube. It's swallowed. 
Yeah, well, so I don't know because it's like a dice. It's like hmm. I think it's got different symbols where it lands. So I oh think yeah. It, so I think it's like that when maybe that still happens. I don't know, but I think it means that when you, it has a different effect depending on what side it lands on. Maybe uh, one of the catacombs um, expansions added vermin like bats and rats and stuff. Yes. Um, and the way they worked, if you got hit by a rat, that's fine. A rat is on you, and you picked up the tiny rat disc and put it on your hero, and it would do damage because it's gnawing at you and gnawing at you. So to get rid of it. There's no rules for that, but obviously you have to flick your hero hard enough the rat falls off. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hit, your barbarian just sprints the length of the dungeon game, trying to shake the rat off. But it's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, we played it like very, very quickly, but just the fact that it's all done with tiny wooden discs and the, the character sheets are beautiful. Yeah. And just, we just wow. managed, to, we managed to rock it through two games like in no time at all. Yeah. The, the, the weird thing I was saying to Matt is the first edition was obviously we, in our review, we were like, this looks like a serious game. It's actually really silly. And look how funny the, again, the art tries to be serious, but it's really badly drawn. So it was kind of like this um, almost Garth Marenghi-esque game that looks serious <laughs> and you could play with serious faces, but is like side-splittingly funny. So it's funny to play the new edition, which is all like big, chunky plastic and very funny art that totally fits the game. But it's like, it, it just makes the first edition bizarre. Like the idea that someone could pick up the new edition and be like, oh, it's a fun game. It's a really nice design. And you go... Have you seen the old edition? And then you're like, this woman's arm is bending the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's it's going really on? It's really nice so to, to like... think of that, though, to see it coming out and being, uh, you know, re, uh, kind of reborn in the way that it never really was originally. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. I think it's for you guys, it's weird. But for me, having not really... I mean, you told me about that before. In the back, but for me, it's just this thing of just discovering this. I really... I mean, I don't. we don't know, actually. I haven't had a chance to look before we start recording about what the situation is but hopefully we'll actually get a proper release not just a kickstarter release yeah god i ho- i would love to see this it's board beautiful game, and like, it is just selling. like immediately like i get it it's fun like the fact that so much of the premise oh sorry so much of the premise is like well can you flick this thing at this thing and that's what it comes down to yeah and the answer is usually there's no yes. like there's no like looking up in the book oh how do arrows work it's like well arrows work like this it's a tiny tiny piece of wood <laughs> and you, <laughs> you, you that flick that as well bit. yeah um it- it's just phenomenal to have a game that's so complex and so rich that you can start playing in... Like, it's even simpler than, like, pool or something. Whereby- oh, yeah, there's no there's no barrier of entry for it. That's the, the one of the... And as we originally said, you can just learn how to play within a minute. It reminds and me of... Then, um, oh, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, it reminds me of Pitch Car, which the three of us finally got to play because oh, we were yeah. visiting the house of a, yeah. a gentleman who had a giant copy of Pitch Car. Pitch Car's pretty great. <laughs> We were, and unbelievably tense as well. If uh, if you if we were being competitive about it, God, pitch car, pitch car people at home is just Mario Kart with discs. So you just flick the, discs. So you around flick the around corners and they fly off the corner and you've crashed again and you put it back on the board. That's a, the same thing happens in catacombs. That the moment you need to do something really important, you become really <laughs> bad at flicking things. It's just funny. Yeah, I just kept flicking my priest next to all the orcs and not even hitting any of the orcs. It was just, just sliding like, oh, to a stop no. patiently, like a train at a platform next. Standing to the orcs. in front of a line of orcs. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's uh, you know why it's also so good. It's just if you have a hit if your orc collides with a hero that's great and everyone's like ah because it's a big moment it's a big play if you miss it's hilarious and those are the only yeah. two things yeah. that can yeah. ever happen it just I think it, it's also nice to have something which just opens the door and opens its arms so widely to ineptitude because I think <laughs> a lot of the time with games uh, there's a, a degree of mastery and there's a degree of like Obviously, if you wanted to, you could become. You could practice for hours flicking tiny discs until you were amazing at mm-hmm. it. And I'm sure there are some people in the world who do that. But most people, 
you know, how good are you at flicking discs? I don't know. Like, it's, like there's no measure for that. It's not like, well, I play a lot of board games, so I'm sure I'll be good at this. It's like, well, maybe you won't. Like, it's it's just the best. It's like that's why Space Cadets is funny because you sit someone down at the weapon yeah. station and you're like, you fire the laser gun by flicking this disc, and the person will be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and then you know they're like, can I practice? And you go, yeah. You could never go once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that enough? Do you feel like you're good at it now? <laughs> it's God, just the. It's like, um, what's that movie, which is like the Star Trek pastiche uh, Galaxy Quest? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. The thing where, you know, the pilot has to sit down at the controls, which he's pretended to fly forever and then has to. Has to actually do like, it. can I do it? Like, yeah, Space Cadets is just Galaxy Quest. It's nice, but I think, I guess the thing in, in Space Cadets is it actually ends up like, never in a bad way, although I guess it would if you had really difficult friends. But if somebody messes up that flick horribly, it's just this shared despair. <laughs> um, and hopefully not people going, what have you done? I could do that. What are you doing? You're useless. But at least in, um, you know, this has the wonderful thing of like, if you really mess up, that's just somebody else is having a good time, which is great. It's not that thing of being like, oh, I've messed it up again. It's yeah. like, it's, it's constantly going back and forth. Katagoom does have that in a really good way, though. Of like yeah, yeah, the, I mean. yeah, because when people are... If I cock up, you laugh. Yeah, exactly. You're just having a fantastic time. When you cock up, I'm grinning. And also, like, the thing in Catacombs is, again, there's only two scenarios of someone messing up. If you're in, like, four players controlling all four heroes. Yeah. So, whole, whole co-op thing. If a hero messes up and puts themselves in front of a monster, that's hilarious for his team because, um, you know, he's the only one who's in danger. Yeah. If a hero knocks someone else into danger, yeah, oh God. it is the funniest shit yeah. you have ever heard in oh your life. Oh, God. There, there's so much room for accidental slapstick, ridiculous, stupid mistakes of you know fireballs bouncing off walls into the wrong person's face. Or I mean, what was the, the wizards had things like uh, you know the magical barriers that you could put up in front of yeah. yourself. Yeah, that's, that's which, still here. That's not going to go wrong, is it? How can that possibly go? A wrong? A giant piece of wood on the board. Yeah, but... my pixie got in the way really quickly. Oh, the pixie yeah. just wedged itself between two pillars. And... It's supposed to be useful. Uh, what was that? You know what? But. Despite this it being this really funny game, it's it's also just actually deeply heroic, you know? Like, it's yeah. got permadeath, which is genuinely scary. You know, players can get knocked out, which is fine because the game's only 20 minutes. But also it has this final boss who's just brutal and who defeating yeah. it. It's like this genuine kind of high-fiving oh my god moment you know and you you get situations where you can you can actually run out in front and try and be uh sacrificial or you know block off a friend who is about to be killed or you know any kind of physical improvisation like that works in the game and is is a valid way of playing yeah and you know what else i'll say about the new edition is um they bit the bullet and put in the manual this time something that fantasy flight won't put in the descent manual or the imperial assault manual which is under the player who controls on the monsters it's like you're against the heroes but then there's a little bit where it's like but you know make sure they have a good time <laughs> which is the key to descent that we have to tell people and the key to catacombs you know to make sure you don't brutalize the heroes yeah uh. yeah it was funny actually um i've say that I'm doing the Imperial Assault uh, campaign is continuing and mm-hmm. there'll be a video about that. We're looking forward to a nice soon. review. Yeah, there'll be something ooh. soon. Soonish. Well, you say, ooh. Can, can be... you give us a kind of a bit of a teaser of anything that's happened or any any secrets or, well, or climactic I mean, I th- moments? I think after writing a thing uh, that I wrote quite recently about about kind of sharing the dark side with another friend, yes. uh, one of my friends couldn't make it this time. So the guy who was uh, sharing the dark side love of power with me and became an impromptu goodie but then i had had to kind of give him some equative stuff but there was anyway the thing was funny is i kind of took the advice and thought okay i need to work out a way of rebalancing this so i i docked a couple of my own points that i won from missions and then i started to play in a slightly more like 
reckless way mm-hmm. and it, it did result in a kind of session where we played three missions and they won two and I oh, won one. Oh, that's great. So but it started to turn so around the again. Taste of- but there was really funny in the fact that they were laying like, oh yeah, we're amazing, we're amazing. And it's this thing of being like, well, no, it's because I rebalanced the game. <laughs> <laughs> but you got, oh, it's, you, so yeah. it's this difficult thing of they're like, oh yeah, we're so much better at this now. And you kind of like, let them have that. But at the same time, you're going, well, no, it's because I had I to bloody destroy. rebalance the game. All you need to do, man, let them win, let them win. Like, the, the, think of it like, um, what, what video game is it where you have to truly crush someone's hope before you kill? Oh, it's, um... Uh, Danganronpa? <laughs> lots of games. A variety of video games. But yeah, think of it, not that you're trying to let them have a good time, but that the ultimate... And them into this. The ultimate yeah. overlord victory, yeah, is letting them win as many games as possible. And then crushing, and then them, crushing the them in the finale. Because yeah, the finales are so dramatic. Like, in terms of what's happening thematically, it's like... You have to actually kill Darth Vader. And then the fact that Darth Vader wipes out the heroes. If it's the same as in Descent, when heroes die in the final mission, they are permanently dead canonically. <laughs> they don't come back. So uh, that's cool. There's a lot to, there's you know high stakes in the final mission. I'm enjoying it a lot. I think uh, from what people have said, it does fix a lot of the things um, about Descent that aren't great. I, there's obviously the head-to-head thing, which I've not been playing, but for a box of that size and for a game that frankly you can only play if you've got your... You could run multiple campaigns, but man, that's going to be really complicated. Yeah. It's better to just have one campaign on the go. So it's nice that you could do something else with the bits in the box that doesn't, A, mess up all of the stuff you've already got in there and force you to start taking sets out. And it's kind of two separate games in one box, which is nice. The one thing I would say, though, and I think it's a great shame, and I really hope that they can implement this somehow. And it feels a bit like, I don't know, it feels like uh, the now, the zeitgeist, a few years ago, I would have been like... Pfft well, you know, that'd be a nice idea. But now with so many more apps surrounding games, I think it's a real shame that this didn't have some sort of some sort of standalone app to go alongside it, even if it was something like somehow optional. Um, because Something like a score tracking thing a or score tracking campaign thing, tracking? A score and campaign tracker alone would be fantastic just because... And that wouldn't be there are about- that complicated. Mm. No, there are, I've looked and it's like there's some pretty simple ropey PDF-based stuff. So oh, yeah. Something a bit simple to remember things. You know, nice. the original Descent, in fact, Descent 2nd Edition maybe? No, it had um, cardboard boxes in the, included yeah. in the campaign module that you would you'd open up your little cardboard box, which is about the size of like a manila envelope. And then you'd put all your cards, all your tokens. Oh, yeah. And seal it up. I mean, I'm just using little plastic bags for everyone. And yeah. that's fine. But that's not actually what I wanted to say. That would just be the icing on the cake, which would make it really tasty. What would be great is the fact that at the moment, it seems to me that the game can tell whether or not you're winning or losing the main campaign missions. Because mm-hmm. then it says, okay, if they lost, then this mission's next. If they won, this mission's next. And I'm assuming that's generally to help create a curve that Ooh. means that... Theoretically. If, theoretically, I'm assuming that it... Because it does seem like the missions after they've lost are slightly easier for them mm-hmm. than some of the other ones. Which would make sense. Which would and make you sense. you would hope it's balanced that way, yeah. But I'd like it if it was able to do that kind of XCOM style thing of also tracking the results of the side missions as well. Because what seemed to be happening in our game is that they were winning all of the story missions, but then everything else, I was ruining them. (laughs) And so it has this game that you kind of get the sense that maybe the game thinks, oh yeah, the Rebels are doing okay. And actually it's like, no, they're not. The other thing to know, and I don't know how to break this to you, Matt, is that all of Descent has always been riotously unbalanced. Like, yeah. some missions are just bullshit, and that's fine. I'm sure that's the thing. I'm sure that is just the way it is, that it's not actually that balanced. Um, but it's just a layer of difficulty. And it's it's funny, because it does create this thing where playing as the as the Empire is kind of like, yeah, you're technically you're one of the players, and you're playing this campaign, but it always it does always require 
that yeah as you say that you are kind of partly a dungeon master that really like mm. half of your role is that you're having fun but the other half of your role is really making sure that you're keeping the game balanced and that you're making the game fun for everyone God, else. It's amazing you're discovering all this after, you know, like, this is like a new generation because you got a new game and you're doing, like, what Paul and I did when we were young. But you're like the- my son, Matt. That's what I'm saying. I'm not like your son. Dad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but no, but it's, it's nice that you didn't tell me any of this stuff. And I've just come to the same conclusion. Yeah, no, it's neat. Uh, the, uh, we, sh- we, we should really wrap this up, this tale of unbalancedness, uh, cakes and plastic bags or whatever you're talking about. I kind of zoned out. The important thing is to say also, if you've enjoyed what we're saying about Fun Employed, we have a very interesting feature to tease, which is that, Matthew, you have a comedy podcast known as Regular Features, don't you? I do. I do. It's a comedy podcast. It's quite blue. It's quite, uh, it's quite, <laughs> quite rude blue. sometimes, <laughs> quite out there, but it's a lot of fun. And the people who do it uh, alongside me are some of the funniest people I know. And so we're going to be doing a little uh, video let's play of Fun Employed with those guys. Which there you go. should be, I mean, I, I think it should be really, really funny. I think um, that'd be really interesting because you guys have do- you've done uh, regular features for so long and you know each other very well. So there's we going to be that camaraderie as well. It's not awkward strangers. It's a particular team of people who bounce off each other rather well. So there you have it, people. Uh, you have a team of people who know each other like the back of their hands. You have the funniest game, funniest experience ever. It so should if be. the bar <laughs> could be set any wow. higher. Wow. Yeah. Deliver, Matt. Deliver. I feel like you've just set the bar and then set another bar beneath another bar and then you've surrounded me with it's bars. It's kind of like that bit in Resident Evil where the lasers, you know, come towards the guy and slice him into Yeah, that's, into a that's, grid. that's how oh, it I hate in my that head bit. as well. Yeah, well, I hate that film. Um, thank you all so much for listening to Shut Up, Sit Down, everybody. I've been Quentin Smith. I've been Paul I'll... Dean, lasers. I've been Matt Lees again. And that video, I don't know when it'll happen because we need to get everyone in the same room, but soon-ish. One day. Well, Fun Employed isn't available in Europe yet, so we got some time to spare. Indeed. Thank you so much for listening, Phew. everybody. Cheers all. Bye. Bye.